Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and joining me today is Stuart and Jess. How are the two of you doing? Stuart, we might start with you because this is your Edge of the Crowd debut. It is my Edge of the Crowd debut. I'm very excited. Um, I've made it very clear in the team meetings that uh, this is my number one goal to get on this podcast. I think it's a great concept and uh, can't wait to get, uh, get started talking about the movie today. Yeah, I'm good. Always great to talk about baseball, baseball movies, anything baseball related. Love the sport, love baseball movies, so let's go. That's right. We are doing a baseball movie. We thought that in the lead up to the 2022 uh, Major League Baseball season, finally starting on April 7th, we'll be watching opening day games on Friday for us Aussies. Um, We obviously thought that this was the perfect lead in this movie. Therefore, in this episode, we'll be taking a look at 2011 sports drama movie Moneyball and... Stewie, Jess, you two are big baseball fans as well. So I thought I'd just start the episode real quickly so our listeners can get a sense of the baseball fans that we are. Uh, What teams do you support? And if you have any favourite baseball memories, what are they? Uh, So I'm an Atlanta Braves fan and I feel like I have to say my favourite baseball memory was last year the Braves won the World Series. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan um so i had a i had a a couple of years ago when they won the world series um that's probably my favorite favorite baseball moment absolutely well i am an oakland athletics fan got a cap here to prove (laughs) um so obviously i really enjoyed uh, our movie of choice as well which was moneyball um because it was centered around oakland athletics um but we'll get into the episode itself So just a bit of a synopsis about Moneyball. Moneyball tells the story of Oakland Athletics general manager Billy Bean and his attempts at assembling a competitive team. Bean, played by Brad Pitt, along with his assistant general manager and economics graduate Peter Brand, who's played by Jonah Hill. They're both faced with the franchise's limited budget for players. um, And because of that, they build a team of undervalued talent by taking a sophisticated sabermetric approach to scouting and analyzing players. So using baseball statistics that measure in-game activity. So using this equation on the upper left right here, I'm projecting that we need to win at least 99 games in order to make it to the postseason. We need to score at least 814 runs in order to win those games and allow no more than 645 runs. What's this? This is the code that I've written for our year-to-year projections. This is building in all the intelligence that we have to project players. Okay. It's about getting things down to one number. Using stats the way we read them, we'll find value in players that nobody else can see. What did you guys think of the movie overall in terms of, yeah, that sort of storyline? And um, we'll go into a bit about the historical aspects of it all too, but... In terms of the movie itself, how did you guys find it? Um, so I rewatched last night in preparation for the podcast. Um, and I actually forgot how much I, I just absolutely love this movie. Um, it's it's just brilliant. Brad Pitt is great. Jonah Hill is great. And even like the uh, the supporting cast, Chris Pratt, Philip Seymour Hoffman, they're just, the stars everywhere you look and they're all bringing their A game, if I can uh, use a bit of a pun there. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a brilliant movie. And just, I'm not sure if there's a section on this or if I'm stepping on anything, I apologize. 
But uh, doing a bit of research for the pod also, I was very surprised to see it didn't win a lot of uh, awards in awards season because it is just a, it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, I believe it was nominated for six Academy Awards but didn't win either. Yeah, yeah I'm, I have a background in data science for those who don't know. So whenever I tell anyone I'm a sports fan who likes data science, it is pretty much always, have you seen Moneyball? Which <laughs> up until very recently, the answer was no. So always good to actually, one, get it off my bucket list because it's been on there for a while. But it's just a really good movie, really interesting story. Bit different from a normal sports movie story, which I also like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll look at the historical aspects of the movie because it is based on a true story uh, with the source material being Michael Lewis's 2003 book titled Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. So Moneyball is inspired by a true story telling the tr- story of Oakland Athletics former general manager Billy Bean. Bean was the general manager of the A's from 1999 to 2016 and he was a former player with the franchise himself um, in 1989 after various playing stints with the New York Mets, Minnesota Twins and Detroit Tigers, all from uh, 1984. The movie did depict Billy's life as a prospect and as a player, um, which I think sort of shown through in his sort of managerial tone as well. Um, That was somewhat alluded to in the film sort of because of it, because of his um, baseball upbringing and just his sort of like rise throughout the uh, major league system. But in terms of other historical aspects of the film, there were a few changes just because of the need to sort of, um, you know, sort of, I guess, help along the storyline, make a few little different plot points, a few motives for a couple of people. So um, I'll just go through a couple of them and, um, you know, you guys chime in if you have any others as well. But I think that, you know, in terms of the structure of how sort of general managers work within a baseball franchise they don't usually go to other teams head offices for face-to-face meetings about buying and trading players like we saw Billy go to Cleveland um, early on in the film they don't usually go to players houses to -to face-to-face meetings about the prospect of signing like we did see them um, with uh, with Scott um, Scott Hattieberg Scott this is a contract to play ball for the Oakland A's copy's been sent over to your agent discuss with your wife let us know um and yeah so i think that you know while it sort of the film did do a good job at like sort of depicting what goes on within a franchise i think that there are a few things that you know they sort of made for the film itself and sort of the film's progression as well and though you also need to make those changes because in real life that process of signing a player is also a lot of intermediate people talking with agents and other team front office staff and stuff like that, which for a movie, you need to have a lot more interaction between Bean and the players than in real life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was, um, you know, broadly, I think, yeah, absolutely spot on. You know, they have to dramatise things a little bit to make us interested in the movie, I suppose. But um, I thought that um, they stuck to the story pretty faithfully, like as faithfully as you could um, while making it, you know, like this Hollywood Hollywood movie or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'll, just in my research, um, I was interested to know that the Peter Brand character 
was actually a real person. Obviously, that's not his real name. That's changed that for legal reasons or whatever. But, um, you know, usually when you see a character like that, it's a conglomerate of four or five different people. But it was interesting to see that, um, you know, most of his background was was real. Um, I think, you know, besides the name change, I think the guy's name was Paul D. Podesta or something like that. Um, but it was it was very small um, changes they made to his background story, um, you know, Jonah Hill portrays him as, you know, sort of a nerdy, uh, nervous kind of dude, um, when in reality, he was pretty, pretty confident that um, his uh, money ball system was, uh, was going to be a success. So yeah, just in that regard, and I've got a couple other notes here, but I won't, uh, I won't bogart all the microphone time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was impressed um, with some of the historical accuracy in the movie. Yeah, well, we'll continue a bit with the historical accuracy as well, just in terms of the roster structure, I guess, as well. So obviously within the film, Oakland were trying to acquire Jeremy Giambi and Chad Bradford for the 2002 season. Um, those two were actually already part of the team um, in 2001. Um, as well, the trades of Carlos Pena and Giambi happening simultaneously didn't happen in real life. Um, you know, the film shows Billy Bean firing Oakland scouting director Grady Furin. Instead, great, um, Grady Furin had left Oakland prior to the 20, oh, sorry, 2002 season for a job with the Texas Rangers. So I think that there were some, you know, aspects of it that, you know, sort of because you had to sort of condense it down into, you know, what was a two-hour movie, I think that, um, you know, you sort of had to have these things happen simultaneously or, um, you know, at the same time. And, you know, you sort of didn't want to go back too many more years and just focus on, you know, the one sort of 2002 or sort of 2001, 2002, 2003 sort of period of the Oakland Athletics. So the other thing I think about that is I feel like it did, even though it didn't represent what it actually looked like, it felt more accurate insofar as when you're a fan, those trade deadlines do feel really fast paced, even though often moves are hours and days between. So it feels, it felt right for that to be happening at the same time, really intense, constantly on the phone. Yeah. Um, we'll just finish with a couple of other minor ones. Um, opening night tw 2002 for the Oakland Athletics was a night game, not a day game like it was depicted. Similarly, game five of the 2002 ALDS was a day game, not a night game, as it was in the movie. Um, Bean's position was never in question as the radio talk back throughout the movie suggested as he was contracted until 2005 at that point. Uh, Art Howe, the um, coach of the... As he said that he was on a one-year contract, which is semi-true. He had a club option for the 2003 season. So it was a small indication of the franchise's support that he said that he was lacking in the film. And I think that we'll just end uh, this segment on a bit of a funny one. Oakland players did not have to pay for soda in the clubhouse. <laughs> and how come soda is a dollar in the clubhouse? I've never seen nothing like that. Billy likes to keep the money on the field. Soda money? Really? Where on the field is the dollar I'm paying for soda? It's hard to see exactly, but yeah. it's there. Yeah. It is hard to see. I've actually...
I've actually got one if I could just uh, tag one on at the end there. Go for it. So the uh, the record-breaking 20th win in a row, um, I sourced this from a couple of different places. Um, apparently that was, uh, that was super spot on in terms of its historical accuracy. Um, players, people involved in the game all said that uh, it was pretty, pretty spot on. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think and I think a lot of that like has to do with the sort of like transition between archive footage and you know what was filmed for this movie as well. The crowd comes back to insane life. How do you explain it? Crazy, just plain crazy. And I thought that they sort of really like blended that in really well. And, you know, perhaps, you know, that helped the cause of, you know, projecting that, you know, that great winning streak by the A's throughout that time. And especially that 20th, um, you know, record breaking game. I think that, yeah, just the blend between the archive footage and what was filmed um, for the movie went really well. Um, and sort of, yeah, you sort of, you knew that it was obviously archive footage, but yeah, it worked so well and you actually got a sense that, you know, yes, this actually did happen the way that the movie's, um, you know, projecting that it did. Yeah, I think um, baseball sport movies, if we can just condense it into that genre, I think they do the um, the the blending of the archive footage probably better than any other sport movie on the planet, I would say. So We've probably talked about why we like this film, so... We'll talk, go into uh, the most relatable character in the film. So obviously, um, you know, the main character, sort, sort of Billy Bean, the general manager, Peter Brand, the assistant general manager, Art Howe, Scott Hatterberg, um, a list of other sort of players. But um, Jess, we might start with you. What was, who or who was the most relatable character in the film to you? Or who did you sort of like, you know, tend to sort of go towards just because of the character that they were? So I'm going to probably go brand mostly because I do have that statistics data background and interest in baseball statistics, stuff like that. So it's a, it's an area of sport that I know somewhat well and have numerous friends in and stuff like that. And Stuart. Um, so I don't know, this might be a broad, broad um, using of the term relatable because I'm not a baseball player and I don't know what it's like to be a baseball player, but I really found myself rooting for Scotty Hatterberg. Um, I really, yeah, I, I, I was really invested in his character. I wanted him to make that transition from catcher to first baseman. Um, yeah. And uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, once again, I don't know if I'm stepping on something here, but I love when he's in the uh, clubhouse in the kitchen there and um I can't remember the character's name. He asked him, what, what are you afraid of? And he says, oh, baseball being hit anywhere in my general direction. <laughs> and the guy kind of laughs and he's like, nah, but seriously, man, what are you afraid of? He goes, no, nah, seriously, that's <laughs> what I'm afraid of. Scotty H. Yo, what's up, DJ? Cooking machine. <laughs> are you liking first base, man? It's, uh, it's coming along, picking it up. You know, tough transition, but I'm, st- I'm, feeling, I'm starting to feel better with it. Yeah? Yeah. What's your biggest fear? The baseball being hit in my general direction. <laughs> That's funny. 
Seriously, what is it? No, seriously, that is. Well, hey, good luck with that. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's something just so simple as yeah, those two characters talking like you know in the kitchen, and there's not much like background noise in that scene either. So like, it does seem like yeah, really sort of like a personal um, conversation where you're just honed into those two characters and just that conversation that they're having. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that for me, um, you know, it'd be Art Howe. I'd say um, just because, you know, the, the character that's sort of on the outer or like, you know, isn't sort of involved in a lot of the decision-making, um, you know, structure of the squad or assembling the squad itself. Um, I think just, yeah, really sort of like resonated with me in terms of, um, yeah, as I said, just being on the outer and sort of, wanting you know to be a bit more involved and i guess like want that sort of like backing um especially from an organization or a franchise um that you know you're the head coach of so i think that yeah i think that his sort of like methods um or his sort of like concerns that he brought up within the movie about you know wanting to have you know more faith in him more belief in him and all this sort of stuff um, you know, I can certainly relate to, um, you know, in terms of, you know, past sort of jobs that I've had, um, especially if we want to, you know, make it relatable in that way. Um, but because we've been speaking about all the characters as well, we'll go into a bit of the acting performances. So as we sort of touched on um, earlier, we've got Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean, Jonah Hill playing Peter Brand, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art Howe and Chris Pratt as Scott Hatterberg. I feel like they're sort of like the main characters of the movie. Obviously, Billy and Peter are more so than the other two, but I feel like those four are the ones that sort of get centred on the most in the movie. Um, feel free to bring up any other um, actors and characters that you feel as well. But um, in terms of the acting performances all round, or if you want to centre on a specific actor as well, uh, what did you think of all of their performances? So uh, I, I would like to just mention um, the little girl. I don't know what the actress's name is, but she's Billy's daughter. I thought she was really good in the movie too, and she played like a good supplemental role um, just throughout, just giving you a bit of a, uh, a window into Billy's personal life, which I, I thought was cool. More? Yeah, just a little bit more. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> I won't. Chocolate sauce? Yes. Stop. Big spoon, little spoon? Little spoon. Thank you. Dad, there's, there's no way you're going to lose your job, right? What? Well, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Where did you hear that? Well, I go on the internet sometimes and... Well, don't do that. Don't, don't go on the internet or watch TV or read newspapers or talk to people. Um, but uh, I don't know if you guys agree with me here, but um, Jonah Hill kills in this movie. He is... Uh, I'm not sure if it was his first 
you know, serious role. He took a step outside of that uh, that comedic realm. But um, I remember when I first watched it, I thought, geez, that's a that's an odd choice. And then uh, throughout the movie, he, he just every scene he's in, and he's in scene, most of his scenes are with Brad Pitt, you know, one of the uh, seminal movie stars of the past 20, 30 years, you know, and he, he almost steals every single scene. So um, Jonah Hill for me, he, massive props. Yeah, it's not easy to act in a scene with Brad Pitt and be the one that stands out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think in general it was well acted. None of the supporting cast really stuck out in their roles, which is probably what you want. Brad Pitt was Brad Pitt. He's an excellent actor, did his job well. Jonah Hill was also really good, as you said. Yeah, I think that um, I think we can all agree that Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt and, you know, he'll, you know, almost always be good in whatever. Uh, he is in um but yeah Stuart I wanted to touch on a bit about what you said about Jonah Hill and this potentially being his first sort of serious uh, movie and shying away a bit more from that comedic sort of thing um you know content that he sort of does um you know act in a lot I think and I think you can maybe say the same for sort of Chris Pratt as well um I don't know if that's just because you know I'm watching Parks and Recreation at the moment and Chris (laughs) Pratt's like this goofy character on there but um I think yeah for Jonah Hill and Chris Pratt um I think that if you have all their sort of like past in your mind in terms of that those comedic films that they are a part of and just like their overall sort of like manner and demeanor and all this sort of stuff I think that it yeah really changes things up to see them in such a serious role um and I think that that was especially evident for me with Chris Pratt especially because you know his character you sort of saw a lot of the progression of him being uh someone that was really I guess sort of um afraid to make that change from being a catcher to first base and um just sort of yeah the um his sort of experience in doing that and you know the emotions or the feelings that he like made sure that he felt and um sort of made sure that he sort of told others as well um like you said with that um kitchen scene as well where it was like you know I'm really scared of the ball being um hit back at me um so yeah I think that he played that really well and yeah you sort of saw that progression of his character throughout the movie and sort of like build up that confidence of his character um which obviously tied into that um you know game winning home run um at the end as well thought that just because we are touching on the acting performances um i'll go back to a bit of the historical accuracy of the movie as well just because some of the uh real life people um have made their thoughts known on their characters depictions as well um so i thought that this would be really interesting to take a look at so first we've got art Howe. he's spoken publicly publicly about his approval of his portrayal 
Um, he said, it is very disappointing to know that you spent seven years in an organization and gave your heart and soul to it and helped them go to the postseason your last three years there and win over a hundred games your last two seasons. And this is the way evidently your boss, Billy Bean, feels about you. How also said producers of Millen's Miller's version of the film didn't contact him to consult him on his portrayal, which I think that is really telling um, because, yeah, obviously if you want to stay true to a particular story and get everyone sort of involved and, you know, portray that sort of story in a really um, historical and factual aspect, you would think that you would consult everyone that sort of you're um, wanting to portray in the film. That's uh, that's really surprising to hear that. I'm 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 shocked. Yeah, kind of flies in the face of uh, my comment earlier that it's pretty <laughs> um, historically accurate. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's poor form on on the on the on the on the side of the, the the producers and the directors and stuff that they didn't get in contact with him. So yeah, especially since that was a fairly important role within the story. Mm-hmm. Like it'd be one thing if a play, if it was a player that appeared in a couple of scenes that wasn't consulted or something like that. But for someone who is a fairly not a lead, but probably one of the main secondary roles, that is his pretty poor form. Yeah. So um Scott Hatterberg also said that uh, Art Howe was portrayed inaccurately as well, saying Art Howe was a huge supporter of mine. I never got the impression from him that I was not his first choice. Um Hatterberg did mention that Howe and Bean had a turbulent relationship, um, but obviously the film gives the impression that Howe had no belief in Hatterberg's ability to play first base and he only used Hatterberg sparingly and um, obviously, um, you know, wanting Carlos Pena out there at first in place of Hatterberg, but um, until Bean forced Hatterberg into the lineup by car- trading Carlos Pena, um, when in actuality... Hatterberg was a regular in the A's lineup all season as well. He appeared in 75 games, which included 28 starts at first base prior to the trade of Carlos Pena. So again, sort of like that depiction wasn't entirely accurate either in terms of um, Scott Hatterberg never really getting a fair go. So yeah, I thought I'd just uh, add those little bits in there in terms of how the uh, real life um, you know, people who were portrayed in Moneyball thought of, you know, the film itself too. Um, we sort of touched on it a little bit, but we'll uh, make mention of it again in terms of how true the sport is to the movie. Um, so obviously we touched on a bit about baseball movies and, um, you know, integrating the archive footage, but just in terms of generally telling a story. And I think that, um, you know, what we might focus on here is in terms of the actual like play itself um, and just sort of like the structure of spring training, going into the regular season, going into the postseason. Um, but yeah, I think that in terms of the play itself, obviously uh, I think I saw somewhere that like, obviously they filmed scenes at um, Oakland Coliseum and they got fans in, or, you know, just people in to um, be sort of like in the background of the stands and stuff like that for a couple of the scenes. Um, But, yeah, I think that they obviously needed to do that to just, like, depict the game scenarios and that sort of thing. Um, 
but yeah, as I said, so in terms of the game itself, I think that they used, you know, close-ups really a lot. Um, just in terms because they couldn't get like you know the big sort of budget of you know seeing Oakland Coliseum in sort of a really wide shot, so they needed to use the um, close-ups a lot more. But I'm interested to know if you think that using that close-up and using you know the really honing in of you know a pitcher pitching the ball or a batter hitting the ball. Um, how you think that that sort of translated or what you've sort of took from that and sort of can think about in terms of seeing it, you know, live on TV or anything like that. And just, yeah, the sort of like way that they manage that. I think I'm in two minds about it because on one hand, yeah, it does make a lot of sense. This is a movie and I feel like that increases the drama on it. And there's a reason why the directors are the directors and I am not a film director, but I'd also be interested to see what it would have been like had they used some of the more common camera angles that you see when you're watching a baseball game. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of back up with just saying here. Um, there's a reason that they're directors and, you know, I'm doing this podcast right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, but uh, for the most part, I mean, more broadly at movies, when someone's performing a skill that needs to be, you know, and they're supposed to be doing it at like a world-class level or whatever. I kind of always get taken out of it with the close-ups and stuff. Cause I'm always like, Oh, who have they really got doing that? Is that really the actor doing that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of um, my enjoyment of the, it didn't, it didn't dull my enjoyment of the movie at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was pretty good, but like just said, um, it would have been cool to, to see a few more TV style um camera angles and stuff like that but then i guess it also does make a lot of sense because there's a lot of movements in baseball that are some really unnatural movements especially when pitching that would have probably looked really awkward had they tried to say these people are playing a major league baseball game when it just wouldn't have looked right yeah super fans would have picked it out straight away if they tried to uh you know be too too uh you know get the actors to do too much um in terms of the actual you know, um, playing scenes. One of our favourite segments on Goals on Film is taking a look at uh, a sports-related movie that we want to get made. Um, This week we'll be looking at what baseball-related movie we want to get made and why. Uh, So it could be anything in terms of historical aspect or, you know, just a sort of, like, storyline that you might want um, involved in a film or just, you know anything sort of really so uh Stuart we might start with you okay so you guys might hate me for this I don't know if I'm gaming the system or breaking the rules or whatever but uh, my love affair with baseball and baseball movies uh started in the late 80s um with a little Charlie Sheen flick called Major League um there was a sequel Major League 2 I'd love to see a Major League 3 where uh you know uh Ricky comes back as you know a uh some kind of coach or something like that um i don't know i don't know i just uh this is the question actually when you sent me the run sheet last night i was like oh shit what do do i actually want you know um so yeah uh sorry if it's a cop out but major league three for me i love major league love major league two great movies um and i'd love to see a major league three yeah complete a trilogy sure yeah (laughs) 
I'm going to go with something more based in real history. I think Ichiro Suzuki has a really interesting story from coming over from Japan and being really a pioneer for Asian baseball in the US, which is becoming bigger and bigger these days. I'd love to see something based around him and also those early 2000s Mariners were a really interesting team in general. Yeah, definitely. That'd be really cool. Um, I'm also going to go for a bit of a historical aspect as well. Um, you know, I feel like it would be easy for me to say, and, um, you know, I think Michelle, if she's listening to this as well, um, she'd be really interested in me talking about it, um, is something involving Shohei Otani and just the, you know, the fact that he's a two-way player. Um, so I wanted to quickly mention that, that, you know, obviously I'd love a film about that. Um, but I think that for me, I want to sort of like tie it to an Australian historical aspect as well. Um, so there's currently been uh, 36 Australian Major League Baseball players and the first one was uh, Joe Quinn um, and he was a second baseman. Um, he made his debut in on the 26th of April 1884 for the St. Louis Maroons um, and he had a 17-year career in the Major Leagues and uh, I think that, yeah, I think that from an Australian standpoint, there's obviously not a lot um, in terms of from a historical aspect either in terms of the game and players and all that from back then. There was a book written about Joe Quinn back in 2014. So I think that it could have sort of the same effect as Moneyball in terms of that 2003 book being, um, you know, from Moneyball being a source material of the film itself. And so I think that, you know, you can take sort of, um, you know, aspects of that book released in 2014 and make it into a really good film and just sort of, I don't know, I think to sort of explore, you know, the first Australian Major League Baseball player and um, just have a bit more sort of like source material in terms of what was sort of such a, you know, groundbreaking moment in uh, Australian baseball and, you know, having our players go off to the major leagues and, um, you know, just sort of who was the first. Can I just, uh, I've got two follow-up questions here. Well, one statement and one question. The first statement is Maroons. What a great name for a baseball team. That's fantastic. <laughs> there are some great historical baseball names, both of players and teams. Yeah, right. Uh, that's that's incredible. Um, that's definitely something I'll, I'll want to research. The Maroons. <laughs> that's uh, that's fantastic. I think, I think there are some like really, you know, weird but crazy but good names in baseball and especially in the minor leagues at the moment too. I mean, like the Rocket City Trash Pandas. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> One of my favorites. That's incredible minor league name. <laughs> that, that is brilliant. And the second thing, this is actually a question, uh, just to follow up. What's that Joe Quinn book called? I want to try and get it on my Audible. Yeah, so Australian sports writer Rochelle Llewellyn Nichols published a biography of Joe Quinn titled Joe Quinn, uh, Joe Quinn Among the Rowdies. Among the... I might have to get you to spell that for me off uh, <laughs> off mic, mate. But yeah, no thanks. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah. That does bring an end to this week's episode about Moneyball. So Jess Stewart, would you like to share your social media handles? So yes, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jessica Ross. That's at underscore J-E-S-S-I-K-A-R-O-S-S. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Stewie is sick of it. Um, S-T-U-E-Y-I-S-S-I-C-K-O-F-I-T at Stewie is sick of it on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at JServes. That's at J-A-S-E-I-R-V-S. You've been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube at Edge of the Crowd. You can also view our website at www.edgeofthecrowd.com where we'll publish stories relating to sport, culture, a bit of politics, uh, all that sort of thing. But until next time, thank you for listening and we'll see you later.